0: Well met, the name's Sarah, and you're listening to Critical Catastrophe, a tabletop role-playing game talk show with an emphasis on Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. Hello everyone! This episode is with Odie Wrights from Twitter. Odie does a lot of homebrew content that he puts out on the DMs Guild, and he is a DM who has three concurrent campaigns all set in the same homebrew world. So he brings a lot of experience to the table and has a whole uh, trove of goodies to check out in the description when you're done with this episode. Welcome, Odie, to Critical Catastrophe. Thank you for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I like to start with, how did you get into D&D and tabletop gaming? I feel like that's a good icebreaker.
1: Yeah, so I started playing D&D seven years, yeah, 2013, seven years ago. Um, I got into it from a podcast called Crit Juice, where there's a bunch of guys drinking, and like they turned Dungeons & Dragons into a drinking game, and it sounded really fun, and so I got all my friends hooked, and we started in 4th edition, and then we jumped around to 3.5, and 5, and Pathfinder, and (laughs) every other system, so... That's how I got started.
0: Did you also start with the alcoholic version?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Nice.
0: <laughs> that sounds very interesting. Was it a? Uh, did the session like rapidly go downhill as you guys uh, got into it?
1: Yes and no. Sometimes. Sometimes definitely. Um, I found that as a, the more we all drank, the more things just like kind of fit into place like we, were, we all just like got into the rhythm of like actually rp'ing and combat and things like that and we would all get more and more immersed into it the more we drank so it actually had a, a positive effect i wouldn't recommend it because you can get pretty messed up on the D if you turn into a drinking game but yeah no it actually only a couple times it devolves
0: i can definitely see how it have that side effect just you know alcohol kind of loosening people up more receptive to having fun.
1: Yeah, and then like actually using voices or like uh, kind of getting into character, thinking about how our characters would do something. Um, it was fourth edition we were playing and uh, it did eventually devolve into uh, the, one of the players backstabbing the big the big bad after the players already agreed to help him. And then it turned into PvP and it was just a whole nightmare. But <laughs> Uh, it's whatever.
0: And then a drunken brawl broke out at the table?
1: No, no. We're all a bunch of of uh, nerds, so... <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Nobody throws punches?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just, just in-game punches.
0: <laughs> awesome. Did you end up um, kind of falling into 5th edition, or are you still bouncing around?
1: Yeah, so we went from 4th edition to 5th edition. Um No, sorry, we went to 4th edition to 3.5 and Pathfinder, and then that was just too much for a lot of the players, so we started moving towards 5th edition and we still play 5e today.
0: It's a good choice, for sure.
1: Yeah, it's definitely good, and I mean, it, it gives us enough to work off of, and then anything else we can just add to it, which is nice.
0: Which it seems like you've been doing a lot of with your collection of homebrew.
1: Uh Yeah, yeah. I just recently started publishing them, too, this year. So uh, it's a big back catalog I'll have to go through for other ideas.
0: What inspired you to actually start writing Homebrew for 5th Edition and then publishing it?
1: So a couple of things. Um, One was I wasn't playing enough D&D. I was only playing once a week at the time. And I wanted to do more. And I, ke- I kept creating... Uh, very big like plots with a lot of intricacies and my players would just do something else so no one would ever get to experience that kind of thing or at least not experience it then. Um and another one is uh my girlfriend actually convinced me I should start publishing them. She was like the main driving factor for that.
0: Nice. That's very nice having that kind of push to encourage you.
1: Yeah she's she's also a writer as well so She's uh, she's been pushing me harder to, to push out more writing on my own.
0: Good. I took a look at some of your homebrew and really enjoyed the uh the Arenas and Cold Compendium. Like those caught my attention. Those are what I kind of focused on.
1: Oh yeah, the uh the teachings of Erisai, right? Yeah. Sweet. What'd you like about them?
0: I guess <clears throat> just the uh the overall creativity that you tend to have is something that. I struggle with like I want to be creative but uh coming up with the ideas that I want to convey is a little tricky so it's it's inspiring getting to look at what other people have created and the magic items in the cold compendium I was like yeah these are fun
1: (laughs) uh one's a little overpowered though the uh time turner I think I put that in there that's like uh just a crazy item um it's the one where you can take an extra basically freeze time (laughs) and you take an extra turn um super super powerful item but uh thanks i appreciate that and uh i you definitely can do it um it just takes a lot of like a lot of redoing something or just like sticking to one specific idea behind it so like you'll write out like oh hey i have this cool idea for you know i want uh this pistol to cast cure wounds and then, you know, you look into, like, the logistics, how powerful that is, and then kind of tone it from there.
0: Uh, kind of like iterative development over your homebrew content. Exactly.
1: And then if, you, if you're if you a DM, um, you can just have your players as guinea pigs. That's what I do.
0: Nice. Are those <laughs> usually your playtesters?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I play three, three games a week now, all in one homebrew world with three different groups. Um, so, I can recycle and reuse and change content a lot. and um they they've definitely helped me add a lot more to the to the adventures than I could have.
0: Did you say three groups?
1: Yeah, yeah, I have three groups. Uh, wow. We play Tuesdays, Saturdays, and Sundays.
0: That was awesome okay. on it's top a of a, <laughs> on top of a job,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah on top of a job, and then also writing. It's, so I'm pretty st- stacked, to say the least, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you have to fight off uh, burnout or...? Not
1: yet, but I feel in the near future it's probably it's creeping up on me.
0: You seem rather resilient. I feel like I would have just been like, nope, 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 <laughs> after a little bit of that. Um, but yeah, that's awesome. I mean, when you're when your hobby... It really just has that passion and it can kind of like feed the drive, if you will.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And if it's even better if you can turn into a monetary thing. Um, so I don't have to work a full-time job. I can you know, do what I really enjoy doing.
0: Out of curiosity, if you feel like sharing this information, mm-hmm. have you seen much in the way of um, success having published your materials?
1: Uh, I w- I would say yes, but not in like a, not in like a big dollar margin, I guess. Yes, that it's getting into a lot of people's hands, which is the thing I'm super excited about. Um, but in terms of actual like net income, uh, it hasn't really affected me much, no.
0: I guess uh, success is rather subjective and yeah, I'm, I totally get it. It's not necessarily a monetary goal so much as just any kind of engagement
1: yeah exactly exactly i mean the monte benefit would be super nice definitely right but yeah it's i've I've, between all my stuff i think i technically sold about uh, close to three thousand copies but a lot of my stuff is usually free for the first couple months or for the first month or so and that's what drives a lot of that um in terms of like actual sales from it i think i i've probably maybe sold like 120 and they're all pretty cheap at like 99 cents to two dollars i think is the most or arenas is five dollars right now
0: yeah and that's both a um kind of like a system to work from and also a kind of like a mini one-shot module so you're kind of getting a two-for-one deal there hmm one hundred and twenty, like to me, sounds rather successful. That's pretty awesome. I'm excited for you. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's over the course of uh, f- uh, four months now. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's definitely awesome. Um, it's it's more than I was expecting, uh, but my expectations were set pretty low. So,
0: of your homebrew creations, uh, was there one that you had the most fun working on, or that you were most satisfied with? Uh, I'm
1: most satisfied and most fun most fun was probably arenas just coming up with wacky NPCs and characters and things like that. That was really entertaining to me. Um, I also had a lot of fun. uh, I was actually commissioned to write a one shot um, for another podcast that I can't, I can't speak much about it until after they have it. Um, And that was also a really fun project. The one I'm most proud of though is shadow over snow hollow, which is like a full adventure. I could be like, three or four sessions long.
0: Yeah. I saw that one in the, the folder that you sent over. I haven't taken a look at it yet. What about it was most interesting to you?
1: Just the, I guess the thought process and it coming together. Um, it was a lot bigger than I anticipated it was going to be. Like I was expecting it going to be like maybe three or four pages and it ended up turning into almost 40 pages of content um, with a lot of, Alternating paths and the player choices. I think it's the most put together of the things I've I've ever put out.
0: Well, congrats! Yeah, I noticed that about Arenas. Um, the attention to detail you had in giving players the choice, giving players the control, I really enjoyed. It was not linear, cut and dry.
1: That's I always try to do that because that's my DM style too. Um, even for like all my games, it's loose and fast and kind of let the players choose because it's a story it's a narrative storytelling and the players are the main characters right and the dm is the setting and you know the npcs and everything and so if you're just telling a group story just put more emphasis on them it makes the dm's life a little bit easier
0: yes and having a willing party that can kind of take the reins definitely helps with that
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I have one group that's a bunch of new players, uh, my Sunday games, and so I'm doing a lot more to try to try to get them into that, um, I guess, that, that thinking kind of process of striking out on your own and doing weird things.
0: It's a learning curve, especially, you know, having having a group that maybe hasn't played much before. It can be a bit intimidating and daunting not knowing what to do because you can do anything.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, like, you come from, like, World of Warcraft where you can, tech, like, air quotes, do anything. Um, but it's predefined what you can and can't interact with and, and mm-hmm. quest to and take and things. But in D&D, it's, it's everything goes, you know? <laughs> as long as you're not affecting the other players negatively, anything goes in my games.
0: Agreed. Oh, yeah. I just want to say congratulations on that uh, commission for the, the one-shot. And whenever you get that oh, you. out, you should, yeah, I'll definitely retweet that.
1: Um, the I can reveal who it was for. Uh, it was the Awfully Queer Heroes podcast. Ooh, I worked with them. And, uh, yeah, they're doing this special on November 1st. So
0: Exciting. I'll check it out. For others who are interested in creating homebrew, is there a lesson you would like to impart on them? I know, I think it was Ethan actually who a while back sent out a tweet just kind of asking for some general advice about, uh, like, how do you keep pushing yourself to create and how do you balance things and you know actually feel like you're not wasting your time on it. That was a lot of question at once.
1: <laughs> you're good. It's it's a it's a big answer for that too. Um. Definitely take it slow. Um, you don't. It's not something you want to rush, especially if you're trying to make it look professional. Another big thing too, when it comes to like balancing, is just look at like the SRD uh, because it's a free resource that everybody has access to. Um, if you're creating a monster, for instance, and you want to be see like you want know, to be for a party of eighth level adventures. Um, look at a CR eight monster and then adjust the stats from there. Um, legendary. Another thing too is when it comes to balancing, DMs are also pretty good at this too. I don't know any DM who will take an exact character sheet from a block, like a stat block, and just regurgitate that information without like changing at least one thing or one thing or another um, to benefit for a fight. Especially if they weren't planned for it, to um, so balance for monster creation and adventures, it can be can be very easy. You don't have to focus too much on the exact balance on that. Um, but player options—that's when it gets a lot more technical and needs a lot more feedback. Um, feedback is the key to creating player options, and I, I even I don't really do player options very much except for that one. Frozen Compendium. Because of that, it's that those ones get a lot of um, a lot of critique done on them.
0: By which you mean the um, races, subclasses.
1: Exactly, um, races and subclasses get the most kind of critique and feedback. Um, and then there's also the most balanced discussion when it comes to actual classes as well. So that one can be that one's a definite beta test for sure a lot <laughs> before you go through and publish on them. But taking it slow, um just do a spell check, do everything and yeah, play through it once or twice, uh either by yourself or with some friends to make sure that you know it's it it runs as smoothly as you want it to.
0: Thank you. It's very good advice. Yeah.
1: I hope it I hope it helps a little bit. Interpersonal like uh <laughs> Like, interpersonal creativity is hard to give advice on, you know? Like, because each person kind of has their own method to their madness.
0: Very much so. Yeah. Very personal approach. On that note, what fuels your creativity and influences you to keep creating? You know,
1: I ask myself that question sometimes, every now and again, because I really, I'm not, I'm not sure, um... I definitely pull from a long background of like video games and reading and I just have a love for for fantasy like ever since I was really little just super wrapped up in like Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. So that's I I mostly just I just like (laughs) storytelling I guess and it just kind of comes randomly at weird parts where I'm not expecting it.
0: Well, is that something you have an example of or no?
1: Like I'll be laying in bed, uh, before I go to sleep, <laughs> and just have not know, I'm like, ah, oh, you know what? Let's instead of uh, just a standard city, let's just have like, uh, a guard post out front, and you need papers, but no one told the players that they need papers, and then let's just make like an evil dude who tells them they're forgeries and sells them to them, even though but they're like legit. Like, I don't know, and then my brain just goes on, like, a weird tangent from there. And then I try to think of it in, like, a D&D sense. Um, or if I'm working on my book, I'll try to think of it in that sense. Like, try to write it out, like, see how it plots out. I'm like,
0: eh. And
1: then I'll just scrap it and move it somewhere else away for another time.
0: All while trying to sleep. That sounds like the, <laughs> the worst time for the brain to go wild with awesome ideas. But
1: Oh, yeah. that's And then I'm up till 2 in the morning, not realizing why my Eyes are so heavy.
0: Yep, I get it. It's always the worst when you're supposed to be doing something else and your brain's just like, ooh, creative things.
1: Yeah, especially like the worst times, too. A lot of it happens to me at work. Um, I have a very boring job. I just work in IT. So besides picking up the phone and answering, have you tried turning it off and turning it back on again? Um, I just, I'll try to write and like think of ideas there. And that seems to have been working pretty well too.
0: Nice. I also work in IT. Oh. I'm not sure if it's fortunate or unfortunate, but I don't have to tell anyone to turn it off and turn it back on again.
1: Ah, so you're, you, uh, so I'm normally a tier two. So I normally do like a lot of the back end stuff. But because of COVID, like all of our tier ones are gone. (laughs) So it's just basically me and this other guy. And, I have been having to run around like a crazy person, like a tier one, but (laughs) that's, that's been my life lately.
0: Hopefully it'll get back to normal, back to tier two.
1: I, I hope so too. That way I can just sit in my office all day and hide. Otherwise I don't like that all my coworkers know me by face now.
0: Oh no. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So do you play, um, you play D&D currently, right?
0: Yes, I DM and I play in one campaign. Nice. Nice. How
1: long have you been playing for?
0: Ooh, about three years. I guess I started back in 3.5, played a little bit. Um, You know, the sessions or the games didn't really last very long. Mm-hmm. So that I feel like that hardly counts toward the experience. And then for 5th edition, I picked it up and I've been DMing for three years.
1: Very nice. Yeah, uh, it's it's hard when that happens, right? Like you have... You try to get a game going, and then by the third session, everyone just is, like, disinterested. You're like, okay, well, maybe next month.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it just seems like a universal truth of trying to play (laughs) D&D.
1: A lot of people are really into it for the first while, and then something else draws their attention, or, like, something comes up and uh, just messes everything up. Life. Yeah, good old life.
0: Yeah, and then I mean this in the best way, uh, but then you get get the weirdos who love D anD D so much that they make it their primary hobby, and it's all they want to do. People like probably us.
1: I feel personally <laughs> attacked. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> no,
1: no, I understand. That. I did. A, I tried to do Adventure League once or twice, and I got some real. I met some really nice people. but I also met some of the worst D anD D players I've ever had the experience of playing with. And not that, like they they weren't like new to the game or anything. It was just like they just made everyone uncomfortable and just said just weird stuff that every, no one was a fan of and tried to derail everything.
0: Ooh, yeah, story time. Do tell. Critical catastrophe stemmed from these kind of horror stories.
1: <laughs> Critical <laughs> catastrophes. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. It was
1: just like. Wait, it's. Was-
0: I don't know,
1: it's not really, like, a one-time kind of thing, though. It's not, like, a horror story, because it only lasted, like, four hours. And the guy only said a couple weird things. Like, he was, like, flirting with the girl next to him. And the girl was also... It was it was really awkward, because the girl was with there with her boyfriend. Like, they were mm-hmm. playing. And then this, like, kind of creepy dude who... Um, he kind of... You know, like, that South Park... Yeah, episode where they play World of Warcraft, essentially like that kind of stereotypical type of guy was there, and it was just it was just uncomfortable, really. Like it was even me giving me some chills. I was like, "All right, we're gonna take a quick five minute break." <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, uh, just just hold on.
0: Were you DMing for that one?
1: Yeah, and I, I I tried talking to him, and and he cut it out a little bit, um, but by the end he was picking it back up again. But it was the end of the session. So I just apologized to other people. I was like, "I'm, I'm real sorry," and then uh, we took it from there. So it wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't a critical catastrophe. Just very uncomfortable. Like, it didn't <laughs> make me feel right.
0: Yeah, that's uh, I don't know. One of the hard things about playing with strangers in this like shared social experience, where you want everyone to feel validated, but also like not not that validated
1: yeah exactly. Like you want everyone that you want their voice to be heard and you want them all to contribute. um but then, if there's someone you haven't met before and they just turn out to be like you know someone with really radical ideas and very forward with some of the other players, it's just like, come on, man,
0: mhm, And it's easy to believe if you just play within your friend group or you have great experiences online with other people that players with those behaviors don't really exist anymore like that kind of stereotypical um i don't want to say sleazy that's a little too rough of a word but like that stereotypical quote-unquote nerd culture of like the
1: yeah i, didn't, I was, it was i was struggling to describe it also earlier. yeah <laughs> and
0: gosh the point i'm trying to make is that it's a very stereotypical representation and in a, like a bad light
1: yeah yeah exactly and and it is it is a real thing unfortunately but it's very rare which is a good thing.
0: Yes, thankfully. But thank you for sharing your uh your story about Adventure League. It's uh
1: yeah. Of course, Adventure League's great, don't get me wrong. Um it was just those two t- I did Adventure League I deemed four times. It's just um uh, just that one time and then one other time uh it stopped immediately, so it wasn't a horror story either. But. Well,
0: that's good. Do you have any um any advice for people who maybe have to deal with and approach those kind of players? Um. I mean, I don't
1: know. It's it's hard. Uh, I'm a really big like people person, I guess, um, because I used to sell cars actually. Uh, so like, I have like a lot of ways of like talking with people or like kind of suggesting. Uh, that was trained in me for the course of like four years, unfortunately. um So I just kind of lead into that. I lean heavily into that when I'm talking to problem players. Um, but I guess the the biggest thing is just like they're people too, but they uh, sometimes they might not realize what they're doing is affecting the other people. Like they just have they're bad at telling social cues or something like that. Um, but if you're if you're like if you're rude about it, you know they'll retaliate with more rudeness. Um, so, like, you know, never—I guess—be friendly about it and just try to let them know what they're doing. Um, and yeah, just be confident. I guess <laughs> that's that's all I got. I don't know.
0: Sure. Yeah, works for me. And that's a a good point about just not picking up on social cues. A lot of people struggle with that and just having someone patient to kind of help them through it. That's nice to have.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So you are DMing three different campaigns or are you playing in any of them?
1: Uh, nope. I am the DM of all three.
0: Do you get to play ever?
1: The last time I played a D and d as a PC, I think was 2017. All right. Yeah, I think I've played twice as a player, and over the course of seven years, if that puts it into perspective.
0: Yeah, you very much seem like a DM-centric kind of person.
1: I would be happy to to jump in and play as a PC every now and again. I just I don't seek it out, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. What um, what do you have going on in your campaigns? Anything you want to just share? Um.
1: Well, I have. I have one group dealing with the Mafia. I have one group dealing that's actually in the middle of the Underdark, in the middle of a drow city at the Matron Mother's house, disguised as drow. And I have one group attempting to enter the the world tree, um, which is like a physical place on the material plane in my world. So they're all in like different corners of the world right now. The most interesting one, I think, is the Underdark one. Um, I get to see how that plays out tomorrow, and uh, I I have like a weird crafting system I do in my games that lets players utilize crafting tools better. Um, I don't know if I'll if I ever get to like a balanced position, I'll probably publish that. But I let them craft like a polyjuice potion from Harry Potter essentially, um, so they can turn themselves into a drow for up to I let them say eight hours. Um, because the city is massive, so I just wanted to let them have time and not be super stressed. And uh, they were looking for a companion that was captured by the Drow, and they ended up walking perfectly into my trap. Um, <laughs> they walked in. They think they fooled the major mother, but she knows. She knows too well. I mean, she's she's the first house, um, and so she is leading them on a trail right now uh and if if they succeed they'll probably end up going to the shadow based on what i have set up
0: well, that's exciting
1: yeah or they can if they fail they might also be going to the astral plane it's one of those um because i have two kind of setups right now one of my players is literally a dragon um so i had to make that that was a nightmare uh but <laughs> <laughs> but she's like a astral dragon and uh so going to the astral sea is to find her her mother and so that's a big pull in that direction too
0: nice yeah
1: so it's a lot going on in that campaign it's a lot of homebrew shenanigans in that one i I
0: was just thinking that not in those words but it seems like your ability to handle homebrew really opened up some options for people which not every dm is good at doing
1: yeah it's it goes back to the thing about just just saying yes right Like. For the longest time, this uh, my girlfriend's the one who plays the dragon, and I was I was telling, I was like, "That's not like a race you can play," um, because it'd just be too like scaling; it would be too powerful. And then eventually, I broke in. I was like, "All right, fine, you can be a dragon." (laughs) And so I went through and I made that, and she's she's really enjoying it, and she's not she's never played D anD D before, and now this session, this campaign, has been going on for. I think this this will be our 20th session tomorrow. So it's all her and her friends and things like that. And we all got them all. None of these people have played D&D before, so it's been really fun.
0: Nice. Congrats. That is getting 20 sessions into a campaign with newer players who haven't played before is a feat. A nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) A nightmare.
1: (laughs) A waking nightmare. (laughs) It's also like the group itself. There's... It does make it easier because the group's so big. I think we have eight players and then myself. And then we have two people that may or may not be there. And so um, what I do in my homebrew games, I just say, they look, they just disappear. Um, They vanish. They're no longer part of the story until they come back. Because I've made mistakes in the past where I kind of chose what happened to the player character from a narrative standpoint. And then that made all the other characters not like that character anymore. And mm-hmm. like I've had other players play as the player character who's missing and they died or something. And then that just turns into a fiasco. Mm-hmm. So I just say, look, they just disappear. And they'll, they're will they here when they're here. They're not here when they're not here. Let's just leave it that.
0: Yeah, it really seems like the easiest way to deal with it, especially if you have kind of a revolving door of... uh Players being there or not?
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So up to ten players in that one, and we still—I'm now kind of pushing towards drinking games in that group. So we'll see how that goes.
0: Like literally having drinks at the table playing. Yeah,
1: yeah. So what we'll do is we'll we usually set up like rules. Um, so I also borrowed this from Crit Juice, uh, just hilarious podcast. If you ever get the chance, old though, they disappeared. But um it's take a drink at the start of your initiative. Uh take a drink on a natural twenty or natural one. Take a drink whenever conversation like dialogue goes poorly for one of the player characters. And then um take a drink if the party takes longer than 10 minutes to decide something. <laughs> Cause they're oh, God. they're very wish washy. So he had to make that rule up so like they, they'd actually choose a path. Mm-hmm. And then I also take a drink whenever the DM says take a drink. If he thinks you've earned it.
0: Has <laughs> <laughs> that earned it in a good way or a bad way? Depends. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> depends.
0: You know, that sounds fun for me as like a one shot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. It's,
1: um, it's great for a one shot. Um, and then you can even mix it up and add more drinking rules or take them away or change it up to like finish your drink if you want to get completely destroyed. You know, it's it's great for one-shots. For full-on campaigns, I'd
0: probably say it's hit or miss. Yeah, I can imagine. It sounds fun, though. I dig it.
1: So, uh, no, November 7th, I'm having a birthday one-shot uh, where the DM wins. That's going to be exciting.
0: Nice. That is a, a fun twist on the typical D&D formula.
1: Yeah, well, the players don't know that I'm going to win yet. Um, <laughs> I'm letting them be 20th level with plus three everything. And I have plans to completely destroy them. Because a lot of people believe 20th level characters, they're impossible to kill.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: I I will prove that wrong on November 7th.
0: <laughs> How big of a party?
1: Uh, so it's, I'm actually merging my two groups, uh, two of my groups. So if, some, if if they can get the day off, anywhere from six to 12 people. Six to twelve twentieth level PCs. I'll be murdering on November seventh.
0: Any plans to uh, record or stream this?
1: I haven't decided. Um, I might record it. I'll be very drunk, and I think that might be entertaining. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I don't know about the the if the rest of the people are okay with that or not. So oh. the, the the recording thing, not the drunk thing. Right. Right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking, like I would pay to watch this. Um. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll
1: stream it live on Twitch because it will be from uh, from our house. So most of us work remote, so we've been quarantined for since March. Mm-hmm. So this is sort of like one time we actually get out of the house and hang out.
0: Yeah. Well, good luck murdering the party. I I would love to figure out or know how that ends up going.
1: The uh, the final boss is me. Uh, <laughs> it's it's just me. That's how it goes. Um, but uh, he will have a stat sheet, so it will be possible.
0: Is November 7th your actual birthday date?
1: Uh, November 9th, but Mondays are boring, so we just switched to Saturday. <laughs> Easier for everyone's schedule.
0: Isn't the 9th a Tuesday?
1: I uh, thought it was either Monday or Tuesday. I have no clue.
0: Oh, it is. It is. Wait a second. I don't understand how time works anymore. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, it is a Tuesday. My birthday's on the 10th and I thought that was oh. a Wednesday.
1: Oh, look at that.
0: Yeah, birthday buddies. It's coming up. Yeah. How old are you going to be?
1: I will be turning uh 25. So,
0: nice. It's like the ideal age. Just stop there.
1: <laughs> Just stop there. <laughs> yeah. <Yep. laughs> I, I was thinking about it, but then like if I stop there my uh my dreams of ever growing a beard will stop. So, I can't do that either.
0: I mean, do you like, do you get better at growing a beard the older you get?
1: I don't know, but I have a firm belief that I <laughs> hope that that's the case.
0: I don't know much about beards, but uh, <laughs> I want to count on it.
1: Me either, but <laughs> it's my it's my goal. Okay, I want to look like Pierce Brosnan when I'm sixty.
0: <laughs> I believe in you. That'll be your your birthday uh, surprise. Surprise November beard. 9th.
1: I wake up with a beard. I'll be like, I'll be so happy. <laughs> like, it's over. My life's complete. <laughs> We're good to go.
0: And then you can stop aging. Perfect.
1: I've been trying since I was 12 to grow this thing. Now <laughs> I <can laughs> do it.
0: Do you have um, any Native American in you that you're aware of?
1: I don't. I'm mostly uh, English and, like, Swedish and Norwegian. So like northern Europe, I guess. Got gotcha. you. But it does make it interesting. So I can grow like a neck beard, kinda, right? Um, but it's all the colors of the rainbow. So the top half is is brown, and the chin, the corners are red, and then there's some blonde speckled in the middle. It's real weird. Just own it. I do. Yeah, I, I try <laughs> to rock the neck beard as much as possible until I get yelled at. <laughs>
0: Oh man, I just I just made that comment earlier.
1: <laughs> no, I take it in strides. I take it in strides.
0: <laughs> I don't even have like any personal experience with that. It's just one of those terms that got thrown around way too often. And
1: oh yeah, it's an internet culture phrase for sure.
0: Yeah, I'm sure your neck is glorious.
1: It's not. It's scraggling. and <laughs> it's
0: gross.
1: <laughs> Actually, uh, on Twitter there was a whole conversation um I can't remember what it was for but it, it devolved I think it was a follow Friday and so there's like a bunch of names on the list and then someone said something about a beard someone else replied about a beard with a picture and then I reply with a picture and then I, I forgot about it and I checked my phone in four hours and there's like 45 notifications off from this Twitter thread of people talking about beards for the next like t- two hours it was it's great
0: Ah uh, yes Twitter. <laughs> Twitter uh, yes. has a way of Twitter doing that.
1: It surprises you sometimes.
0: Yep. And I, I love, and I say this sarcastically, from a design perspective, how they hide the, uh, the UI to uncheck people from replies. So that if you're new to Twitter, you don't even know that you can uncheck them from replies.
1: <laughs> yeah, right.
0: Yeah. And so then you come back to 45 messages about beards. <laughs> which is maybe a fun thing in that case.
1: Yeah, it was, it was super entertaining. So I got a kick out of it. It was worth it.
0: I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Character Arcana on Twitter.
1: That's who the beard discussion was with. Yeah.
0: Perfect. See, <laughs> yeah. exactly. I was about to say, they're good at blowing up notifications.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're awesome. Yes. They're so friendly, too.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't like to pick favorites or anything, but if I had to pick a favorite Twitter account, it would be, it would be Character Arcana.
1: They actually, I, um, when they f- first made their Twitter, I think, it was either when they first made it or they had like 40 or so followers. Um, I sent the guy who does character arcana, I sent him all of my stuff a long time ago. Um, I need to actually re-up that list. So it's, I'm missing some things I can send him. But yeah, I think that was that was back in August. I sent him like all of my own my homebrew content
0: which by the way is very kind of you i know you sent me a folder of some of it and that was just like super nice just out of the blue here have some free content
1: yeah i like um i like to support people who make community content so and that's the biggest medium for that is podcasters uh in our in our sphere um so i like to send them all the content because if they play DD and they they're dms or they have a dm and it's just You know, it's like thirty dollars worth of stuff just that you can just take and look through and enjoy, possibly get some ideas from. Um, It's kind of like my way of paying it forward, I guess. Mm -hmm. And that uh, that folder I sent you actually is uh, will continually be updated. Um, That's my personal drive folder. So all my works after it gets published or after it's finished will be put into there.
0: Awesome! I'll be checking back in every so often. That's again, like, thank you. It's really awesome.
1: Just don't tell DMs Guild. Oh. Oh, wait. I don't don't think I'm allowed to sell stuff. I think giving it away is fine. I don't, I'm not too sure. They have a lot of rules. (laughs) But.
0: Yeah. I mean, ultimately, it's your content, right? Like, you should be able to give it away, maybe.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I know you can do promotional copies through DMs Guild, but it's a huge pain. So you have to do it one file at a time through an email address. So you just end up blasting somebody's email with like 10 things. It's like, eh. Yeah. And a lot of my stuff I also post on like Reddit or on Twitter and it just gets lost to the void. So yes. it's like, yeah, this is also all that stuff that gets lost.
0: The internet void. Well, we'll keep it on the down low. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, on that note, um, my partner is running a campaign, and that's the one I play in. And it's kind mm-hmm. of in a a snowy-ish, um, mountainous environment. And I think the Cold Compendium probably has some ideas in there that she could pull from and possibly implement in her campaign if she chooses to. Lots of fun ideas in there.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, even like... Uh, Shadow over Snow Hollow. Just take some some things from that too. And with Icewind Dale that just came out, I still have to actually read it. I own it. I just haven't gone through it yet. Oh. Um, that's wonderful. I think snow is probably like my favorite like environment, and I don't know why. Like Arctic tundras and things like that. Because I've made like three things involving snow so far.
0: Yeah, it's um, i would say maybe kind of like an underutilized, underloved setting. In D&D. Right,
1: because there's mm-hmm. not really like a lot of cold spells, you know? Like, they, you have your, your basic, I guess, chill... No, chill touch ne- is necromancy. What am I
0: thinking of? I think ice right. knife?
1: <laughs> ice knife, yeah. You have, like, ice knife. And then you have, like, high-level cone of cold and, bl- like, a blizzard, I think. Um, but I want, like, a third-level, like, a cold fireball, you know?
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that um that I can't remember the name of it now, but like the cold fog that you had.
1: Yeah, actually I got that one from um um uh, just the idea of uh, a white dragon gets that ability as a layer action except it doesn't do damage. So it's like that'd be cool for a player to have.
0: Yeah, the um I ran a one shot just a little bit ago and one of the characters had a oh, I don't know if it was like Sleet or whatever kind of spell where it kind of froze the ground and it made um, the area low visibility. But it was a really underwhelming spell and it didn't do damage. And in the scenario, it was used. It didn't actually do much useful. But uh, uh, having more options like some of the spells you came up with would have been such a better fit for what they were trying to do.
1: Like uh, I like to think there should be a Grease variant of like an ice grease so like people can slide and slip mm-hmm. that'd be interesting nothing feels worse when you try to cast a spell and then it just the the dm lets you do it and then immediately just ruins it <laughs> and then you're just like <laughs> oh man i see i see the happiness die from my players faces when i just circumvent their entire spell like by walking five feet to the right
0: right yeah and like yeah, it was just a, like situationally not like an optimal thing to do, which doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. But I was like, I I don't even know how to how to work with that in particular. And I think it was in part because the spell was so darn confusing and worded awkwardly.
1: Oh, that's the worst. Like mm-hmm. sometimes wizard writing, just I have to read the same thing six times just to make sure I understand what it does, and even then I'll get it wrong in the game.
0: Yeah, me too. Same thing. My memory is also terrible, though, so...
1: I'm actually doing a complete dynamic shift from cold currently. And I'm going to a desert uh, biome next.
0: And what's happening there?
1: It's called... It's like an Arabian Nights-themed setting. Um, But there is a rebellion. A possibly crazy uh, knight commander who may or may not kidnap the prince or the king. Uh, there is a lot of intrigue and twists. There's an Indiana Jones basically pyramid, and it's all going to kind of flow together. Um, the final area is the is the pyramid because the king has the key, and so players will have to choose whether they want to help the the knight commander, the rebellion, both of which are not necessarily great people and also great like they'll do good things and bad things and then there's also like a character that's kind of guiding them that may or may not betray them we'll we'll see
0: lots of may or may nots possibilities are open
1: yes yeah it's i have the outline for it and i've finished the first section um so that's I mean, that's, that's probably gonna, not going to come out till the end of November, probably, but it's, it's my next big project while I work on a bunch of little stuff.
0: Yeah, I feel like desert is another kind of underrepresented environment, and I don't know if that's just because personally I don't really think about deserts much, and just I'm like, here's your forest and your plains, and that's standard D&D fare.
1: Exactly. No, exactly. It's like The only time I see deserts are in the second act of a video game, and then they're always the worst level. So I want (laughs) to make deserts good. (laughs) Yeah. I guess that was my frustration for Diablo 2 back in the day. Their act 2 was a nightmare, and it was in the desert, and I didn't like it.
0: Those negative emotions can stick with you for a long time.
1: Yeah, just right underneath the surface. Don't even think about them until, you know... Until it's too late.
0: <laughs> Until you're making your own desert.
1: Until you're very drunk, yelling about why deserts are bad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Something, something, Star Wars sand reference. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, hopefully that, uh, that goes well and you, you get that out for end of November-ish. So many things to, I don't know, look into. All these great content, it's so hard to keep up with everything.
1: Right, that's so why I had to stop playing like Magic: The Gathering. They were releasing something new every like two months, and I just could not keep up with it.
0: I don't even play Magic: The Gathering, and I've noticed that as well. <laughs> like, yeah. It'll just show up in my nude speed, and I'm like, "There's more."
1: Yeah, there's a new thing. Uh, there is a Dungeons and Dragons Magic: The Gathering set coming out in 2021, though, so I will be picking up a lot of those cards.
0: Makes sense. Sorry,
1: I think I feel like I keep derailing everything, but that <laughs> just. Do you mean?
0: No, I think we're doing fine.
1: <laughs> Perfect. Perfect.
0: I'm used to derailing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, we're still in the realm of tabletop role-playing games. But uh, on that note, does it seem like Wizards is having a, a whole bunch of crossovers left and right with D&D?
1: Yeah. Yeah, quite a bit. Uh, I mean, there's that Legal Legends thing on D&D Beyond... They mm-hmm. have uh, the Magic the Gathering thing. They did, What else did they did. I know they've been doing a lot of stuff, like a lot of Hasbro stuff. They're just throwing around the IP like crazy.
0: Something recent coming out that I was like, oh, that's surprising. But they did Rick and Morty and Acquisitions yeah. Incorporated.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of Magic the Gathering in the indie now too, which I think it's probably for the it's a benefit though um because we're getting a lot of new like unique content
0: mm-hmm. yeah because that's the uh, ravnica
1: yeah ravnica and i think there's another one i don't know and or mythic odyssey if they're gosh that was also magic the gathering
0: i didn't realize that for the longest time
1: it's a really cool campaign setting though um like, if you do, if you like, ancient Greek or um, ancient Rome kind of style with, like, mythology and all that, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll see if is really cool. And they actually implemented one of my favorite mechanics, um, mythic traits on monsters. So it's it gives bosses a second health bar, which is something I used to do, but now I have, like, actual things I can do with it. Like, have it give it, like, an actual name. And they have a second health bar. So when they reach zero, they get healed for like, you know, their max HP or half their HP. And they get access to a bunch of new stuff.
0: I've been meaning to look into that because I've heard that it it just really gives monsters and enemies like this whole new flavor.
1: Yeah, because it's like, you know, when you make like a big bad and then the players wipe out white, like destroy the encounter in three rounds. And you're like, oh, I should have prepared better.
0: Yes, all the time.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Mythic actions make it so you can immediately adjust everything on the fly. So like they fall down and then like, you know, maybe enemies show up, they come back up and they have, you know, double the HP now because the last one was too easy. Their damage now hits a little harder. Uh they have a healing thing maybe. You can just throw in whatever you want after that and it gives you an excuse, I guess. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, uh rules as written mechanic. So when the players are like, "What you can't do that," you point at it.
1: It's in the rules, lawyers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't really have players who would be like, "You can't do that," but uh. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah I don't it's think nice I've to ever been
1: them. told that. I'd be offended if I was like, "Excuse me."
0: Who is behind the DM screen? You?
1: Yeah. Do you see this big piece of paper in front of me? <laughs> it says I can do whatever I want on this side.
0: <laughs> right here in big letters was there anything that you wanted to talk about in general about what you're working on or what people can look forward to
1: Um, I guess so what I'm working on that, uh, that Arabian Nights adventure hopefully if I can actually sit down and write it uh, hopefully by the end of October at most end of November as a working title it's Angarth and the Tomb of Ashenerophon But that's a mouthful, so I'll probably scrap that for something else. Um, Otherwise, I'm just uh, writing, writing commissions. Um, Is this a good time to tell them where they could find me?
0: Yeah, sure. Where can you be found?
1: The best place to find me is on Twitter at OdyWrites. That's O-D-Y-W-R-I-T-E-S.
0: All right, and you have lots out on DMs Guild. You have, um, you have links on your Twitter to get to that, and yeah.
1: Yes, yeah, I got a whole link tree and stuff that they can check out, or if they want to commission me, they can find that info there too. It's all there.
0: Who knew Twitter would be such a great hub for this kind of thing?
1: Right? It's not just for yelling political opinions at each other. <laughs>
0: right? Yeah. I'm like nope no social media and then I started a podcast I'm like okay I guess
1: pure social media
0: (laughs) yeah yeah I live and breathe it now
1: (laughs) I'm on Twitter probably way too much that is fair I'm trying to like limit my social media so it's like it's just that and then I'll post to like like special stuff to like coffee or whatever and then just Twitter and like no Facebook no LinkedIn Too much Reddit, but that's a different story altogether.
0: Reddit is its own beast, and you can type more than, like, 250 characters, so...
1: Yeah, a couple thousand characters.
0: Thank goodness. And my whole
1: beef with some of the mods on Reddit, but that's, again, another story. (laughs) (laughs) Drama. Uh, And, uh, of course, also thank you for having me on this podcast. It's been really fun.
0: Yeah, of course, and if you'd like to come back on to talk about anything else, I'm... Up for that. It's been a really fun conversation.
1: Maybe if I eventually drop that Arabian Nights themed thing, (laughs) we'll do another one.
0: Yeah, that sounds great. All right, Odie, it has been a great chat. I've had a lot of fun, and I hope you have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thanks, everyone, for taking the time to listen to this episode with Odie. If you're interested in checking out what he is working on and what he has created on the DMs Guild, you can check out the links in the description and find him on Twitter. Just a reminder that season zero of Critical Catastrophe is wrapping up here soon. And with that, there's going to be some changes to the podcast. And yeah, I just kind of want to give people a heads up as we come to a close on season zero. I'm expecting there to be one more uh, party chat episode, and that will be with the Mark Knight, also from Twitter. And that'll be next episode probably followed by just a short closing episode to end out the season. After that, Critical Catastrophe as we know it will be changing significantly. I'm thinking that it will no longer be called Critical Catastrophe, so the podcast name as well as potentially my Twitter handle will be changing. That's just one of the changes to look forward to in the very near future. Hopefully that does not confuse too much, but we'll see what happens we're still young yet there's room to uh mess with stuff and tinker as always thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode have a lovely day and do remember the dice don't run the table